0: I've often wondered what make you to decide to believe in God and follow God. What make you pursue God? What make me pursue God? What, how is it different between my pursuit of God and your pursuit of God? And does it matter? Does loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might matter? Can I just simply believe in God and that's sufficient? Why do you see someone who's given up their life for God and then you see other people don't do anything for God at all. In the back of your mind, you think, well, they both end up in the same place. So why does it matter? Why do I have to pursue God if I can just live the way I want to and then I'll get there anyways? Why does it really matter? Can I just show up when I feel like it? Can I just read the Bible when I feel like it? Can I just pray when I feel like it? There's something that just don't add up. Why are there some people who really pay a dear price? To pursue after God, why I don't have to, I don't have to give up anything. I don't have to do anything. And my faith is still okay. The title of my message today is The Precarious Christian. I don't have the ability to speak your word. You have to perform this through my life. Use my mouth, my heart, my strength, Lord, and even my ability to speak is impaired. Only you can communicate to the hearts of the hearers. And I pray, Lord God, that as we open our hearts that you will pour into our hearts the message that you have reserved for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. The precarious Christian, that word is taken out of Acts chapter 15, verse 26. Men, talking about Paul and Barnabas, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Men that have hazarded their life. The word hazard here means that they have risked their life They live not knowing when they would fall down or when they would fail. That's what the word in the original means. And I like to use the word precarious because it means to live dangerously or to live very close to the edge that you would fall, not by the mercy of God. One of the things I love to do in my younger days mountain biking. And I cannot tell you how many times I would have fallen off the cliff if it was not by some supernatural or by divine protection a place called the russian ridge this very dangerous place but i did not know that it was dangerous i was following a group of riders and being young and uh, adventurous i followed them the first thing that you do is you go down this valley very wide so you have to pedal back up it was a hard descent you go down with really fast speed and then you have to use your your strength to go uphill It goes up as long as it comes down. You have to come down with a lot of speed to get up to middle of the hill and then you have to pedal up the rest of it. And as you make it up to the top, there's something that I never expected would happen is that this big valley ends up in this little tiny, it's called a single track trail, meaning only one bike can go at a time. When I come over the top, the Landscape changes. The terrain changes. On the left-hand side, uh, the mountain. On the right-hand side, is actually a ravine. It goes down. Trees, and then I don't know what else down there. Get up there, and everyone else they just left. I got up there, and I looked down, and lo and behold, it's dangerous. But everyone else still got there. People behind me. I'm, you know, somewhere in the middle, and I have to make a decision. Should I stop and turn back? We just started. I just made over this. Great big hill, it, was, it took a lot of strength. It's one of the most dangerous trails in this area. But I did not know that. I just followed the group of people. So I say I'm just going to go down. And literally, it was a leap of faith because it went down. So I just went down. It's one of the most exhilarating feeling when you heading into something that you don't know. Now, we have to leave space for us to maneuver. We can't ride very close to each other. So when I made it over to the top, there's no one there. And when I came down, I came down really really fast because I just got up a really really tall hill. So you go down really fast and it was fun. You come down and you dodge these trails and it takes you down and then suddenly there's a little crack in the dirt road some of the dirt just it fell off. piece m- missing. I'm coming down, I see it in front of me, I'm going down really hard, head down really fast, you don't want to brake fast. I was able to dodge that and then when I dodged that curve, I did not know how dangerous that turn was. And as I turn, you can't turn very fast because you know how fast you turn when you, your bike will lose control. So you turn a little bit, but then you turn a little bit so that your, your bike will eventually follow that route. Problem is I turned too little and I went too fast and so I know my turn is too wide. I will fall off that was scariest moment of my life I know my turn is too wide I will fall off I definitely will fall off so when I hit when I hit the outer bank of the edge what happened was there was a tree that was there and there's two choices I can make one slam into the tree and hopefully I bounce back on the road or two I'm not sure I might miss the tree and I just gonna green down the ravine well for some reason I unclipped of my foot was free, put my foot out there and my foot hit the tree which then pushes the bike the other way and then I came down the hill and I did not fall which is very strange. But unless I'm prepared to go down the road, unless I'm prepared to enter into this adventure and live close to, to the edge, there is no story to tell you. There is no adventure to tell you. Our Christian life is like that. God wants us to experience the miracle. He wants us to experience something that's tremendously valuable that He has in store for us. Now, I'm not telling you to go and you know ride your bike that way. But if you ask me again today, would I do it again? I would do it again. It's fun. It's part of living. It's part of life. Why do some men risk their lives for the gospel and other people play it safe? Is there really playing it safe mode in the gospel? in the Christian life? Is there a safe mode when you boot up your computer and it's not working normally so you get into safe mode where you turn off most of the functionalities? Is that your Christian life? Some of us go into safe mode. We get into safe mode and we never experience any life at all that God has purposed for us to live. We get into the safe zone and we think that I'll go to Sunday. I'll sit there. I do some Bible reading. I do some prayer before I eat. And that is enough for my Christian walk. Is that okay with God? What do you think? What do you think if God just says, why don't you come down there telling Christ, why don't you go down to earth? Don't have to be born in a manger. Why don't you just come down, live in a castle, call your subjects to you and then Bring the ones that you want to bring into your kingdom. Let them live in your kingdom and you don't have to die and you don't have to go through suffering. You don't have to go to the cross. Your subject will be just like you. Your kingdom will be established that way. What do you think? That didn't happen that way. Christ came down. He suffered all the way through. He said the birds have their nests. The foxes have their hole. The son of man has no place to lay his head. He lived a very precarious life. He lived very dangerously close to the edge. Christ, our Savior, our Master, look at his life. He prayed and his sweats come out as blood. He prayed while his disciples were sleeping. He lived a life none of us is able to live. He went from town to town walking, preaching the kingdom of God when men looking at him and calling him the devil deride him. And in the end, those that followed him, Those that said that they want to make him king because he fed them the 5,000 and then the 3,000. He fed them and they loved him. And in the end, those same people said what? Crucify him. The disciples that went with him, those that he spent most of his time with, in the end, they betrayed him. They sold him. One of them sold him for 30 pieces of silver. The rest of them, when he was arrested, they all left. None of them was there. Why do you think that Jesus had to go through all of that? So that today we can follow Christ and we say, well, you know what, I do what please me and maybe a few other things so that my position in heaven is secure. I don't have to obey everything in the Bible, just some things in the Bible. I don't have to read the whole thing and follow the whole thing that the Bible dictates, just something and that's good enough. Something I believe tell you that that's not right. There's something wrong with that sentiment. There's something obviously wrong with that mentality. And yet, we live a Christian life like that. I'm telling you, that is wrong. The Bible says that only through tribulation will we enter into the kingdom of God. Remember when Paul, he was stoned and they thought that he was dead. Now the Apostle Paul, think about it. The Apostle Paul was wiser than any one of us. He had a job, he had a good job. Yeah, maybe tent-making doesn't make too much money, but he could make and he could do anything he wanted to do. He was a smart man, he was a Pharisee, he has authority because he was a Roman citizen, and he used it whenever he was in trouble, but he decided, he said, I count all things as loss for the sake of Christ. Why do you think a smart man like Paul would live a life so dangerous and so precarious let me read to you what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 to 27. Why do Paul live like this? Are they minister of Christ? He's talking about those claiming that they are minister. They are, or simply they are Christians. I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant in stripes above measures in prison more frequent in debts oft of the Jews. Five times I received forty stripes save one, thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings, often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger, and in thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness." The apostle Paul, he went through all this, think, and I used to think this, Paul doesn't feel any of these things. Paul is impervious to pain, he's impervious to cold, he's impervious to heat, all these things he didn't mind. Paul is a superman, he doesn't feel pain. When he get beaten, he just take it like a man. Is it true? If it was true, there would not be this passage. He felt every beating that was upon him. He felt the cold, he felt the heat, he felt the humiliation, he felt the loneliness. Here by myself, everyone have left me except for Luke. Bring me my coats. I'm cold. Paul felt every pain that ever came to him. And the question I ask is why? Do some men risk their lives for God and some don't? If they all end up in the same place, is that just, is that fair, is that right? Or God only calls some to suffer and others to live in bliss. Do you think that's right? Or do you think the call of God is the same to all of us, but yet we choose to live the way we want to because of our own choosing? So the question is, well, why? Do you know what's the minimum requirement to get into heaven? Have you ever asked yourself, what's the minimum requirement? What's the least amount of christian things I can do so that I can get into heaven? Have you been asked that question? What's the minimal that I would do? How many times should I go to church? Should I go to church once a week or twice a week? Should I go to Bible study or that's not required? How about prayer? Are mealtime prayers good enough or should I do a little bit more prayer is still you know, five minutes or ten minutes? Do I need to read my Bible? Is The New Testament okay or can I, you know, can get away with just the gospel? Have you asked yourself what's the minimum requirement it takes to get into heaven? Well, let me tell you, there are no minimum Because if there were minimum requirements, I would do it. You know what? I'm just like you. I feel the pain. It's hard for me to get up in the morning. It's hard for me to read the Bible. It's hard for me to pray. I see something that I like out there, I want it. I see someone that's beautiful, I'm attracted to. I'm just like you. There's no more grace that I have that you don't have. If someone beat me, if if I share the gospel to someone and they look at me strange, I get upset. Just like the rest of you. Some of you thinking, why can't I just go to a different church? I slip in there, no one knows me. I do my Christian thing. I do the worship thing and then I slip out and then live the rest of my week. I think about that too. I can do that too. But why don't I do that? I read the Bible and I'm convicted. That whatever the Bible says is the minimum requirement. The whole thing, the full counsel of God is the minimum requirement for us to be called Christian. Because the Christian bears the name of Jesus and we cannot water it down. We cannot say, I will live my life in the flesh and then I can be a Christian. I can bear the name of Christ. I don't believe that that is the way for you to live as a Christian. What is the requirement? The requirement Is the full counsel of god whatever is us here god knows who you are god knows whether or not you are safe okay god will tell you whether or not you have what it takes to be called a christian get into the kingdom of god god knows that god knows who are his the issue is that do you know let me just encapsulate this real quickly so you say that what you have is real if someone have a diamond ring now i tell you that what you have is fake. It's not real. You think I'm crazy? Maybe you have. You need to dig a hundred and fifty kilometers down. Go through the earth crust to get to something that we call diamond. A hundred and fifty kilometers. Have you? Have anyone dug a hundred and fifty kilometers down? You got diamond? How you know what you have is real. Someone took it out and said this is real. Pay $22,000 for it because it shines a certain way. Uh, someone come along like me and say, what you got? That's not real. I've been down there. It doesn't look like that now. That's how Christian walk. How do you know that what you have is real? How do you know your faith will save you? God knows what's real. And this is what he said in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 30. Reprobate silver shall men call them, because the Lord had rejected. This is not diamond, it's silver. We are all like silver. But some silver, he call reprobate and reject them. Some are real silver. Which one are you? Our lives, my life and your life. If I say I am a really fast runner, you say, prove it. I say, no, I'm a fast runner. You tell me that you're a fast swimmer, I'll tell you, prove it. But how many of us, we call ourselves Christian and no one ever asks and demands the proof for your Christianity? If you're a Christian, prove it. How do you prove that you're a Christian? Abraham, he was promised Isaac. His posterity would be like the sand in the sea and the star in the sky. God gave him Isaac. And then what happened? God said, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. Does God know what happened to Isaac? Does God know what happened to Isaac's son? Does God know what happened to Isaac's son's son? Does he? He does. But he gave it to Isaac. Abraham and then he told Abraham to go and do what do your test to make sure that you know that you truly love me truly I am your only love and I am your the only one that you put your faith in God has given to us each one of us Jesus Christ as our Savior now where is your Mount Moriah will you test God will ask you God will test you See, he tells the children of Israel at the end of Moses' life. Moses turned to his people, and Moses concluded this. The Lord has brought you out of Egypt into the wilderness to test you. He could have just taken you out of Egypt and put you into the promised land, but he didn't do that because he knows what happens in the promised land. But he takes you out of Egypt and puts you into the wilderness to test you. If not then when we got saved, we should all be in heaven by now. This is our wilderness. Our lives is a wilderness. And why are we here? So that God tests you. Now, if you live your life, you just cruise on by life without being tested, without having your faith being tested, then we're living a lie. We're still actually, in fact, in Egypt. We haven't got out into the wilderness yet. And if we are in the wilderness and we fail, like some of them, actually most of them, did fail in the wilderness. They never made it, even though God said, I will bring you into the promised land. Did not God said to them that I will bring you into the promised land? But did they make it to the promised land? They didn't. None of them, except for, yes, for two, Caleb and Joshua. None of them did. Look at the statistics. There are not many people who are willing to live a godly life. There are not many people who are willing to suffer what all the opposition seems to be so against them there are ten of them contrary to only two that says we'll conquer it our lives must be tested have you you say that god will deliver me god will deliver me god will save me well have you been in the lion's den have you been in the furnace of fire have you seen the son of god who carry you through in the furnace of fire where is your furnace where is your prison did god show Joseph in the vision that his brothers and even the sun and the moon will bow down to him. And then he ends up in where? In prison. It went from one pole to the next. And the next one is deeper, but yet he held on to the Lord. He didn't turn around and say, Well, God, what happened? Where is your task? Where is the trial of your faith? Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse five. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith and prove your own selves. Paul said, examine yourself. How many of us here examine our Christian faith? How many of us examine ourselves? Whether you be in the faith. Prove your own self. Know ye not your own self? Do, he is asking, do you know who you are? God knows who you are. Do you know who you are? Have you been tested? Have you been put on the, through the fire? And see whether or not your silver is real whether or not what you have what you're holding on to is real and one day you take out your ring you try to pawn it and then the guy look at it and said well it's not real you pay what for this how much do you pay for your faith test it figure it out whether or not your faith is real i'm not stupid paul's not stupid a lot of people who have given their life for the lord are not stupid we have made the calculation we have done the study we figure it out and so if i pay this price You should ask yourself the question, why is he paying the price and I'm not? Ask the question, how that Jesus Christ is in you? Examine yourself, examine yourself today. Ask yourself the question, is Christ in me? Otherwise, the word said, you be reprobate. The same word that's used for silver, reprobate, silver. It's not good, not good. Is your faith good? Be sober, Peter said, be vigilant because your adversary is like the devil as roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom they may devour your faith." Be careful. Now, I'll give you three reasons why I am and I do what I do. Why do I choose to suffer? First of all, right off the bat, unless you take the adventure, unless you take on this ride, you never experience it. Why do I take on bicycling? I'm not a very athletic person, but why do I take on mountain biking? It's fun the wilderness, the the trees, the trails, it's fun. Your adventure in God should be fun. It should be adventurous and it is dangerous. It's precarious. It's not easy. If you play it safe, you never experience anything. You never learn anything. You never come to any place. Experience it. Enter into the adventure that God has sent you. I do this because I know that my life here today Even though there's pain, yes, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of giving up. Do I not want to settle down, have a family, have kids, and then call it a day, meaning a life? Do I? Yeah. But there's something more exciting in God. There's something much more exciting in the pursuit of God than in just following what's out there. It's not for me. It is exciting. It is fun. It is supernaturally inducing Fun, not just in the flesh. I choose this life for three reasons. The first reason is because God called me. The second reason, because to test me, see what you really made of. And the last reason is because of love. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. If you have this mentality, this is your home, the earth, the world is your home, then this does not apply to you. God did not call you. Now, if God called you, then you are an ambassador for a kingdom that is not of this world. So the kingdom of God is not of this world. If the kingdom of God is of this world, Jesus Christ should be here and be ruling in the flesh right now. But the kingdom of God is not here. The kingdom of God cannot be seen. And I am an ambassador, meaning I have been sent from the kingdom of God. How do you get into the kingdom of God? Born again into the kingdom of God. How do you know that you've been born again into the kingdom of God? Well, your life, your affection are of the things in the kingdom of God. If you are still so enamored with things in life and pursue after things in life, that you're not from the kingdom of God. But if we have been sent, I have been sent from the kingdom of God here, even though my flesh is still attracted to all the things that is in the world, because I was born in the world. But now I'm reborn into the kingdom of God, and therefore I am now an ambassador of the kingdom of God. I might look like everyone else here. I'm only using this body for God. And there is the power that is inside of me. There's a mandate in my life that do not allow me to satisfy the the deeds of the flesh. And so I am called by God to be an ambassador to do God's bidding. To do God's will in this flesh. I'm only using this flesh and therefore whatever happens to it. Now I, I need to keep it. I need to keep it in good working condition so that I can do what God asked me to do. I don't want because I neglect the body, meaning not keeping myself healthy. I won't be able to do what God has asked me to do. God asked each one of us to do a certain things. We need the body. God's going to use the body. If you are an ambassador sent from heaven, then you will do what God's asking you to do. And therefore, you are not attached. So if I can't have something in the flesh, I can't have something in, in this life, it's okay. Because my real life is in heaven. I'm only sent here to do some work while I'm here and then I'm going to be with God. So if your life is so attached to this world, if your life is attached to this life, and you live as if you're gonna die here, well, you will die here. But I'm not gonna die here. This flesh will die here, and then I'll go back to heaven. I'll go get My ministry is done. I'm going back to heaven. That is one of the reasons why I do the things I do here because God has given himself for me. My life is not my own, but it is God's. I have that responsibility that I live this life, this flesh, I'm borrowing this body. I'm actually taking over. God has to take over this body like a host taking over a body and this body eventually it has to do what the holy spirit wants to do it has to be under the command of the holy spirit bending them to the will of god not let this body bend the will of god to your own fleshly desires if you have been sent from heaven you will learn and you will have to learn to live and cause this flesh to be a host and not the master The second reason, it is because I fear God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. There are only two kinds of servants. There are the faithful servants, and there are the wicked servants. I don't want to be a wicked servant, because if I am wicked toward God, then I'm wicked toward everyone else, because God is not the authoritative voice in my life. I don't treat anybody good. Even if today I would say, oh, I love you, I care for you. But if I don't care and respect God, I don't care and respect And because of that fear, that fear of God in my life, and I know if I don't preach the kingdom of God, like Paul said, woe unto me if I preach not the kingdom of God, meaning I be damned if I don't preach the kingdom of God because I have given this mandate and if I don't do it, I'm a wicked servant to the Lord. And that's what compels me to do. That's what compels me to get up. That's what compel me to do the things I need to do. That's what compel me to do the things I do here. Because when I fail, when I was in pain, when my lips are swollen, when my, my teeth has been lost, what do I want to do? I just want to stay home. I want to sleep. I want to cater to this body. But God said, I have not told you to rest. And so I got to get up besides my own will and desires. I have to get up. You see, why do, I do the things and why do men do the things so contrary to their flesh? Because they fear God. They fear God. And is there a fear of God in our own lives? When God says to do certain things and we don't do it, do we fear God? Do we have the fear of God? Because if you are God's child, there's something inside of you that will turn you, that will cause you to be so uneasy because you know you're not obeying God. See, why so many of us, so many Christians who live and try to dance between two? When Elijah went up to uh, the mountain and he looked at the people and says, If God is your God, then serve him. If Baal is your God, then serve him. Why do you dance between two opinions? Choose one. And the problem is when you dance for a long time, what happens? You get tired. You haven't made any progress, not in life and not in God. I'd rather, you know, if you're not going to pursue God, just live your life. If I don't believe in God, if I don't respect God, I don't have a fear of God, I'm going to live my life recklessly. i just going to go hell anyways. But some of us, we just dance between the two. Sometimes God, sometimes world, He will spit you out. The fear of God should be our constraint. If we fear God, then choose a side. Take God's side. I implore you. Take God's side and live for God. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. Choosing to suffer. Why? Because for your benefit. For the benefit of others. For the kingdom of God. For the fear of the Lord. The third reason for why I do the things I do is for the love of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraining us. It is because God's love. What would you do for love? What would you give up for love? For some of you, probably have not experienced it. Some of you who have experienced it, I'll tell you, love does something strange to us. It causes us to stay up late. Sometimes you don't have to sleep at all, and it's okay. Sometimes we can lay down and talk on the phone until wee hour of the morning, and we just don't feel tired. I used to have the time when I fell in love, and I'm on the phone talking. And it was silent on the other end. It's completely silent. And then I stopped talking for a long while. And then, hello? Well, oh, she fell asleep. But I didn't. I was still up. It was morning. Lights up. I was still up. You know, there's a power in love that causes us to be besides ourselves, to be supernaturally induced with, endowed with some kind of power that we don't have to sleep. Then the next day, I go to work, and I work the full day, and I go home, and then I forgive her for falling asleep on me, over the phone, and I talked to her again. The kind of love that brings you to a point where you're beside yourself, you do anything, you look past all the faults, all of the crazy stuff that you do, you defy your family, I don't care what you think, I don't care what you say, I love this girl, I'm gonna pursue her, and it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter what you think. Do you know what I'm talking about? What do you do? What would you do for love? If love really is that driving engine in your life, that force that drive you, what would you do for love? Why do I look so crazy? Why do I say the things? Why do I despise my friend so that I will hold on to God if it's not because of love? Do you have this love? Is the love of God really is constraining you so that you are willing to let go of everything else in pursuit of God? That the love of God drives you and pull you and lift you and call and give you supernatural ability that you otherwise would not have. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon thy heart and as a seal upon thy arm, for love is as strong as death. The love between man and woman can be very stupid sometimes. It causes to do crazy and stupid things, like suicidal things. Yeah, it's pretty <sighs> stupid. But don't deny the power that love brings be not deceived by the power because of love many people have died foolishly for real because it's very powerful love is very powerful it is as strong as death jealousy is cruel as the grave the coals thereof are the coals of fire which had the most vehement flame love love is a powerful thing do you have it do you know what it is i know Christ loved me, and his love was vehement. All response to God. The crazy thing that you would do in the eyes of all men, even as your family, to say, I love God. And the reason why I do this, because I love my Lord. I love Christ. And that's what makes me get up. That's what makes me defy my own flesh, my own will, to do the things that God asked me to do. That's what makes me to stand here before you, whereas I could be anywhere everyone else is. But because my love for God and what He asked me to do, that's why I'm here. That's why I do What constraint you is the love of God drive you. Father, we thank you. I thank you, Lord God. May your word penetrate into the hardest areas of our hearts and make it melt. Make our hearts melt. And that we are able to come to know what it means to love you and what it means to be loved by you. And that we would arise at the voice of the beloved calling. Even when we are comfortable in this life, cause us to rise, Lord. Cause us to go out, open that door, and begin the journey to pursue after you. Give us a heart. Give us the fear of the Lord. Give us the mandate, the call, so that we can truly be called Christian.